The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host... Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. Y'all came back again after listening to that marathon podcast that I dropped on Thursday, April Fools. That was actually a copy of the audio from the Hump Day Hotline show that I did with Joe Miller and Joe Marino as a special guest on Wednesday night. I hope you all liked that. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a good time doing it. So I hope that you got a chance to get a little taste of the stuff and the content that you can expect to get when the opportunity arises for you to hop on the YouTube live shows on Monday nights, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. You never know. This might become what you're listening to right now as a podcast or live here on Locker Room. This could become a YouTube show. And no, again, before we get started, no, I would not reveal my face, but I could just do a gigantic round logo and that would be fine. That would allow me to interact with more people. I'd do it. Why not? So we've got a packed show today. We're going to try and fit as many things as we possibly can. If you are live with me on Locker Room, at the bottom of your screen, there is a button that says request to speak. If you have a take that you want to go over with me or a question you'd like to ask, hit that. I will be able to bring you up on stage with me to deliver your take. And once you're done, I can put you back in the crowd and talk about it a little bit like we would if it was a radio show. So we are going to start off with some almighty takes that have been piling up in my inbox that I want to make sure that I get to. So make sure that you're in the comment section as well on the locker room, because that way I know that we're not having any technical problems and you can actually hear me. And that's always a good thing. So make sure that 
you're in there, you're hitting the request to speak, you're doing those things so that I know that it's actually working. Because last, last time we did this, I didn't get any of your speaker requests at all. I got one and then they just completely shut down. And so because they completely shut down, I had to just kind of keep talking. But apparently behind the scenes, there were multiple people who wanted to get on here with me and talk a little bit. But I didn't ever see their speaker requests because we were having technical issues. So that's that's pretty fun for sure. So make sure you're in the comments section so I know you're there. Make sure you're hitting request to speak so I know you're there. But we're going to start with an almighty take from Andrew. Andrew says, Bruce, listening to last Thursday's pod, something you mentioned struck me. You can't scheme your way around bad talent. Then I caught your locker room live show that night where one take came up was how the term hometown discount needs to be killed off like your favorite Game of Thrones character. This got me thinking about the following take. The narrative that Sean McDermott was a conservative coach, but subsequently evolved, needs to be put to rest full stop. Folks will cite his general season-to-season increase in going forward on fourth down over the past four seasons in support of this assertion. To this end, the snow game versus Indianapolis sticks out for many of those who prop up this take. But just like you can't scheme your way around bad talent, you can't scheme your way into fourth down conversions. Going forward on fourth down comes down to two things, probability and situational awareness. Based on probability, is it more likely than not that you'll convert? Then do you have the situational awareness to not only account for this probability, but also understand what's at stake if you go for it and don't convert versus if you punt it away? Turning to the Bills. I am of the mindset that Burt McDermott is very, very good at situational awareness. He's also very aware that, generally speaking, the talent he had on offense in his first few years made it less likely than not the Bills would convert on fourth down. However, as the years went by and offensive personnel turned over, that probability shifted in McDermott's favor because, well, the offensive weapons got exponentially better. Put yourself in his shoes. You're a first-year, first-time head coach for a franchise that is completely devoid of recent success. Would you be more comfortable going forward on fourth down by throwing the ball to Kelvin Benjamin and Zay Jones or Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs? I'd like everyone who regurgitated this narrative to answer the question. McDermott was never conservative. He just had the situational awareness to understand that the 2017 to 2019-ish Bills offense had a low probability of successful fourth down conversions that no amount of scheming could overcome because they lacked offensive talent whereas the 2019-2020 Bills had a much higher chance of success on fourth down, so he went for it more. Hashtag narrative killer. Keep up the good work, Andy. Okay, I'm glad you brought this up, Andy, because I've actually been one of the people who said that Sean McDermott has grown, and I stand by that. I fully recognize that the Bills' offensive talent has increased over the last couple of years. However, there are two things that I would counter with. The first is that his ability to be a game day coach and be better doesn't just apply to fourth down conversions and fourth down attempts. It's also timeout usage. It's also challenge usage. It's also making sure to know when to go for points at the end of the half versus when to not go for points. And you might say that that stuff's related to offensive talent too. But the first point I'd make was that he got better as a game day coach in totality. And part of that is 
fourth downs. In addition to this, when asked why he went for two earlier this year in the 2020 regular season, he flat out said, the numbers told me to. The analytics told me to do this. So he is someone who has evolved through the use of analytics. In addition, if you have less talent, you should be more aggressive, not less aggressive. Having the talent deficiency that you do when you first start off a regime in the NFL and you've taken over a team that was maybe a devoid of talent, when that happens, you should be more aggressive because you need more variance to accommodate for lack of talent. It's a little bit like fighting dirty. If you are up against someone who is bigger, faster, and stronger than you, you want to increase variance into the equation. You want to throw your shoe at them. You want to fight dirty. You want to gouge their eyes. You want something that is high variance to swing the thing in your favor. This is one of the reasons why I prefer backup quarterbacks who have large variances to their game. I want someone who has some sort of special trait. He's got a huge arm or he's crazy athletic because if I have to go to my backup quarterback, I'm very likely at a disadvantage now, which means I need variance. If I can't get competence, at least give me variance. That is my stance on backup quarterbacks. And it's also my stance on fourth down conversions. So you want to go for that. You want to be more aggressive when you don't have good talent. Because if all things are equal, the less talented team is probably going to lose. So you need to increase variance. You need to go for trick plays. You need to go for surprise, surprise onside kicks. You need to go for a fourth down. You need to make sure that you do those things. So for me, I'm completely cool with the take that McDermott started out more conservative and evolved. Plus, it kind of sticks with the mantra with McDermott, which is growth mindset. It's constantly getting better, humble and hungry. And I think that McDermott was able to do that. Now, I have a speaker request. It's Mr. Andy Anderson. Andy, you're with me. You're with Bruce. Talk to me. Are you there, Andy? Yes, I am. Hook me up, man. What you got? Hello, Bruce. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, man. All right. Just wanted to make sure. All right. So here's here's my take. Um, everybody's freaking out about all these recent all the recent signings with Bobby Hart, the two linebackers, everything like that. And mm-hmm. and what I'm what I'm shocked is is that people don't realize these are just camp bodies. They're not going to make the active roster whatsoever. So I don't think that that's really anything to worry about. I think it's just this this roster is already chock full of talent. There's not many more spaces. I also think that they're probably going to trade down just to get more mid, mid-round mid picks in order to uh, try and get some bodies that can actually make the active roster in the draft. Because those late-round picks, just they're, they might be able to be hidden on the practice squad, but otherwise it's probably not happening. Okay. So – in regards to the freaking outedness, because that's a word, because we have dictated that it's so, the freaky outedness of some people in regards to some of the recent signings, I will agree with you on the linebacker depth. Linebacker depth is the fact of the matter is you're not, there's not a lot of talent out there right now when it comes to linebacker class. One of the reasons why I wasn't thrilled about the prospect of losing Matt Milano and losing Daryl Williams in free agency is because the free agent linebacker class isn't very good. And the free agent tackle class isn't very good. 
So it's not like you have a lot of options there, but you want to try and free up some opportunities in the draft where you don't necessarily have to draft someone because you need numbers at a particular position, which is good. It allows you to get, you know, more best player availability-ish. You know, you get some, uh, get some more BPA in your stew. But when it comes to the Bobby Hart thing, there are better backup tackles. So if you have to have a camp body for a veteran minimum deal, like if those are your parameters, I need a camp body and I need a vet minimum deal. There are better players out there. Ricky Wagner's out there. Dennis Kelly's out there. Cameron Fleming's out there. LaRaven Clark's out there. DeMar Dotson's out there. Sam Young's out there. Jermaine Effetti's out there. Chaz Green's out there. All of those players are probably really small one-year deal players. And all of them are better than Bobby Hart. So for me, is there a chance Bobby Hart doesn't make the team and it doesn't matter? Sure. But I, I want to increase their chance of making the team. So even if it's a one-year deal for a backup tackle, I can get a one-year deal that's cheap for a backup tackle for a player who's better than Bobby Hart. Now, does it warrant freaking out? No. No, it doesn't warrant freaking out. But can I say I think that that role could have been filled at the same price with a better player? Sure. I think that's completely reasonable. All free agent signings are like that. And whether or not they have a chance to make the roster or not, more talent's better than less talent. And better value is better than worse value. And if I have the ability to get a tackle who is better than Bobby Hart for similar price to Bobby Hart, who might actually have a chance to make the roster, then I want to do that. Because right now, Ryan Bates is your swing tackle. And I, mind you, I like Ryan Bates. I'm hashtag Bates Hive, baby. I like Ryan Bates. But I don't want to only have that as my option. So I would love to have picked up a Ricky Wagner. I talked about it before free agency started. I'd love to be able to pick up a Ricky Wagner or a Dennis Kelly or a LaRaven Clark. Just somebody who's capable. Not good, just okay. Bobby Hart's not okay. Bobby Hart's been bad. And it, mostly it's because Bobby Hart's a bad athlete. He's single-digit athleticism level of athlete when it comes to percentiles. I mean, just not a, not a good athlete. Not a good athlete in the position. So, moving along, we got a take from Jeremy. And Jeremy says, Bruce, as you are evaluating the 2021 draft, perhaps you can give us some insight on how you're grading college players who opted out. In other words, all you have is tape on them from 2019 and before. If you had a first-round grade of a prospect after 2019, but they opted out of 2020, is that person still a first-round grade? Or are you waiting against that prospect and dropping them to the second round now? Does it matter? Any insight would be helpful. Thanks for saying this, Jeremy. I really appreciate this. Um, I talked a lot to Joe Marino and some other people about what I was going to do in regards to the usage of opt-outs for grading. And I eventually decided that I'm going to leave it where it lays. That's how I'm going to do it. I am going to pretend like they were crystallized at the last moment that they played. Because I don't know if they've gotten better or if they've gotten worse. I don't know any of that stuff. And so are there players who will probably have regressed in that time? Yes. Are there players who have probably improved in that time? Probably. But there's no way for me to know any of that. So I acknowledge it. I notate it, but I leave it where it lays. If they were a top 10 draft grade for me based on 2019's film and nothing happens between now and then, they're still that great. That's the way that I'm handling it because quite frankly, I don't know how to adjust for it. 
And I don't think there's a, a way I can adjust consistently across all of it. So I'm just not going to. All right, Buffalo Sauce, we're going to try it again here. Your phone was breaking up real bad last time, but hopefully it's better this time. I got you, man. I'm, hope, I'm hoping so, too. Hey, my question is, like, first three rounds, you know, yeah, I guess you could go a mix of both, but we had the team in solid. Do you go for that kill shot with people that can help you out now? Or are you looking for maybe that, that player in the long run that can fill some depth? we got a couple aging positions that, uh, that, that could help out maybe down the road. Or, or do we, I mean, are we taking a shot at the Super Bowl run and maybe, God forbid, a Travis Etienne or that linebacker, that high, uh, hybrid linebacker out of Notre Dame? Cool. All right. Hey. So you're talking about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa out of Notre Dame. And I think the answer is if you have the ability to get someone who can be impactful now, then that's good. That's obviously a good thing. However, you don't take your eye off of the value of the player just because like you don't reach for need i don't think you reach for immediacy either because we talk about need and we only talk about need as positions but i don't think that's true you can reach for need with other things you can reach for need with leadership oh gosh you know i know he's not the best player on the team but we really need a leader in the locker room you can reach for need with immediacy which is, I really need someone who's going to contribute this right now. I need someone who's going to contribute right now. And reaching for need rarely works out, regardless of what type of need it is. We have historically thought of need as being positional need. But I don't want to reach for immediacy either. If Travis Etienne is on the board and he's there with Elijah Moore, I would take Elijah Moore. I understand he's a wide receiver. I understand that. And he can contribute a little bit now. But next year, you're going to have a 35-year-old free agent in Emmanuel Sanders and a 33-year-old slot receiver in Cole Beasley. There's a reasonable chance that next year the Bills need two wide receivers. Maybe more, maybe three, depending on if Gabriel Davis takes a step forward. If Gabriel Davis goes all Josh Reed on us and doesn't take a step forward, you might need three receivers. That's how fast things change in the NFL. So for me, I want to have that Super Bowl window open as long as humanly possible. That's what I want. Because I recognize that the difference between making the Super Bowl and not making the Super Bowl is not Travis Etienne. It's never that small. There's all of these other factors that go in. Injury luck. The ball bouncing. There's all these things that are lucky that go into making the Super Bowl. Whether or not the Chiefs get bounced in the first round and you don't have to play them versus the Chiefs getting having some hurt players versus you getting them and having your scheme match up particularly well, getting the right playoff matchups, all this stuff is luck based on the way that other teams perform. So I don't, I'm not a believer that you're like, okay, if we just do this one thing, we're going to make a Super Bowl because there's just so many variables that go into it. And because I don't think there's one thing separating this team from a Super Bowl. Therefore, I'm not, I'm not apt to err on the side of reaching for immediacy because I think that's an example of reaching for a need too. Reaching for an immediacy is reaching for a need. Reaching for leadership is reaching for, reaching for positions, reaching for need. All that stuff is reaching for need and typically it costs you the better player in the long run. Christopher Nixon says, Tyreek Hill 
is 5'10", 185, and runs a 4.29. Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech, is 6'2", 207, and runs a 40 and 4.28. There's obviously a lot more to scouting than those numbers, but I don't follow college football enough to have a strong sense of Caleb Farley beyond them. Apparently, with his back surgery done after he ran that 40, he's falling on dashboard on draft boards. Is there a chance Caleb Farley is available in 30? And if he is, why shouldn't we take him? Okay, so yes, there's a chance Caleb Farley is on draft boards, mostly because this is a great corner class. And when you have an opportunity to take a great corner or a great corner who has back problems, then there's going to be a lot of questions about that. In addition, he had a non-contact ACL tear in 2017. So it's not like it's not like there's no other issues. He had back spasms in 2019 and he had an outpatient back procedure just recently. That being said, he's fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. Size, length, quickness, hand usage. He's got tremendous technique. He's very, very, very good. I think without the issues that you have with his health, I think that there's a very, very reasonable competition between him and Patrick Sertan for CB1. I think that's just the way that it would have gone for him if these things hadn't popped up. But Virginia Tech offers him pro-style defensive coordinator as far as experience goes. He's played in multiple different coverage schemes, played in zone, played in man. It's not like he's just one or the other. It's not a simplistic defensive scheme. It's one of the things that people like about Patrick Sertan. You know, Justin Fuente doesn't roll out a simplistic defensive scheme at Virginia Tech. So for me, I would rush to the podium. And I understand that there's risk involved with that. The reason I would rush to the podium is you don't get to pick players with this good tape at 30th. You don't get to do it. I love taking players in the bottom of the first round. We don't pick there very often because the Bills haven't been good enough. But I love taking players that fall for one reason that really shouldn't be there at the bottom of the first based on their talent. You saw this with Montez Sweat with the Washington football team. He thought it was going to be a top five, top, top eight pick. And then right before the draft, a little bit of injury, health concerns, heart issue starts to come out, and he falls. You saw the same thing, defensive tackle out of Michigan, Hurst, that ended up going to the Oakland Raiders, now that the Las Vegas Raiders. I love taking players like that because the risk becomes better as the pick gets lower. If you have top five ability, then, I mean, it's kind of a steal at 30th. And I'm okay with it. Now, the exception to that rule is the Willis McGahee rule. Obviously, Willis McGahee was going to be a top five running back pick, and then he fell and the Bills dropped him, and I was upset because running backs in the first round. So I know that was a long time ago, but I've been on this train for a This train never stops. The guys at Trainwreck will tell you that. So I'm good with it. So moving along, let's see. I got another take here from Alex McEnroy. Alex says, Hey, Bruce, I can't get locker room to work, so I hope this finds you before you record. It does. Recently, there's been a lot of discussion regarding the value of the fifth-year option. 
particularly how moving back into the first round is worth more than just the number of places skipped. Given that you're adamant that drafting a running back, even in the late first, is a bad value, does that mean you feel like it's even worse to draft one really high in the second? Follow-up. Let's say you're a GM and you decide you're going to draft a running back. Oh, I don't know, 35th overall. You end up with a stud who now hits free agency a year early. Given that you've already decided to draft a running back with a 35th pick at the latest, can I get you to admit the Browns should have traded up to draft Nick Chubb in the first? Absolutely. You cannot get me to admit that. So I understand where you're going with this. If drafting it in the late first is a bad value and drafting it in the second gets you one last year, one less year of the contract, then wouldn't drafting it high in the second be worse? The answer is no. Because the reason why I don't want to draft them at the bottom of the first is because I don't intend to use one of the benefits that I get from the pick. It's wasted opportunity. It's an opportunity cost. Because the bottom of the first round, you have a fifth-year option that you can spend on a player who I want to keep around for five years. And that fifth-year option will have more value when it's applied to a different position. But if it's applied to a running back, it means less because I don't want to franchise a running back. I don't want to give a fully guaranteed one-year deal to a running back. And that's what a fifth-year option is. It's a fully guaranteed. It used to be just guaranteed for injury. But now it's a fully guaranteed one-year deal. It's basically a tag. It's basically a franchise tag. Usually a little less expensive than a franchise tag. But it's a, it's a mini franchise tag. And I have no interest in applying that to a running back. And because of that, the reason why it's bad value is because of the opportunity cost. If you're picking in the second, you're not wasting anything about the pick. There's nothing intrinsic to a second round contract that has now become a waste because you used it on a running back. But if you use it on a first round pick on a running back, then there is something intrinsically with the contract that you're now wasting because you used it on a running back. So that's the reason why I, I'm actually okay drafting a running back in the second round. I'm, I'm fine with it. Now, there are certain aspects where I think there might be a better player on the board, but specifically when it comes to just philosophically, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm fine with it. Jack, I got you on the line with Bruce. Please don't fire me. How you doing? Dude, I'm rocking and rolling. How about yourself, man? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So you just brought up an interesting point with these running back things, and I had a, I had a thought. In an ideal scenario, are you taking a running back every three, four years and just mm. kind of play in that carousel then? Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up. Yes. <laughs> if it was me, I would draft a running back on day two every other year for eternity. Yes. That's exactly yeah, what that's, I Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking you were going to go with there. Um, but then eventually you're probably going to hit a spot where maybe somebody doesn't work out, right? And then what? Sure. Well, given the fact that running backs are extremely dependent – if I keep my offensive line reasonable and my scheme is running back friendly, then the quality of running back necessary to be effective in the scheme is pretty low, which means, I mean, you really have to be a, a fairly bad running back to pull it off. And usually the types of running backs that aren't able to pull it off are usually day three guys. They're usually specialists. They're usually players like Anthony McFarland or Javian Hawkins out of Louisville. Those are the players where you can't really ask them to do all around running back things. But and, and if you, if, go ahead. I was just saying, and maybe you're hoping that you can get a, a veteran on a minimum deal as well in case somebody like that doesn't work out. 
Yeah, you can always plug it with a stopgap because of how deflated the market is. You can grab someone like Matt Breida for one year and two million and plug a hole until the next year you draft a running back in the third round. And so it's just one of those things where you can just kind of plug them. You don't need to invest significant resources in a position that's overly dependent and has a very, 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 very high floor when it comes to reasonable production in a system with good offensive line and a decent scheme. If you keep a good offensive line and you keep a decent scheme, you can plug a lot of people in there and have a success. And if you can't, then you can find somebody. Don't you almost feel bad for running backs at this point? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, mamas don't let your kids grow up to be running backs. I mean, it really is something where, you know, they're coming in on a minimum deal. It's a rookie deal or whatever. And once they've proven themselves, nobody wants to pay them. Yes, exactly that. And and I, I do feel bad for them on one hand. On the other hand, you know, the punters and the long snappers and the kickers and the returners, they're all sitting in the bleachers going, yeah, uh, welcome to the club. Like, yeah, we've, been here, right. we've been here forever. So there are positions, but, they, you know, we still have kickers. You know, we still have long snappers. You know, we, we, there are still people to fill those jobs because, you know, you get four years in a rookie deal. That's still above average as far as the average NFL lifespan, which is still two and a half years. Two and a half years is the average annual, the average career for an NFL player. So even if you get four years of a rookie running back deal and then you let him go, yep. you're still better off. Yeah. You're above average as far you've had an above average NFL career at that point. Hey, Bruce, you're doing okay. You get sweeps next week. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. I'll talk to you later, man. I guess sweeps week, baby. Sweeps week. I love it. Thanks a lot for your participation, guys. I love it. I'm going to take this one take from Jack. And then for the people who are listening to a pod, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. It's been 30 minutes. We are going to try to go through why I'm still team trade down. Maybe we can fit a mock in. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So I got an email from Jack. And Jack tells me that – so this is interesting. So Jack's been emailing me back and forth. And Jack – has a theory that there are certain mental aspects of a player that can affect the team culture. And he is of the opinion that Travis Etienne is not one of those players who can positively affect the team culture. So he's all the way out on Travis Etienne. And as a little funny thing, he said that Dr. Phil and Nancy Pelosi are also not draft picks for the Buffalo Bills. So neither one of those three things uh, does he think that the Bills are going to do. So for those of you listening to a pod, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. We're going to get some other stuff done. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Well come back you know doing a live show solo is kind of hard because you don't have a chance to ever take your drink and inevitably inevitably what will happen is i'll bring one of you on and i'll say hey man how you doing and then i'll go reach for my drink and then you'll say something like hey bruce what's up and then i have my mouth on my drink when you say i go that's inevitably what happens so because of that, it's one of those scenarios where I'm like, okay, um, maybe I don't get to take a drink. Maybe I just don't get to have the things that I want. 
But we're going to take a few seconds. We're going to go through why on earth Bruce is still team trade down. Because the initial thought will be after filling a lot of needs in free agency, re-signing Matt Milano, re-signing John Feliciano, re-signing Daryl Williams. After doing those things, you might think, okay, now let's trade up. Or now let's, you don't have to trade back. The common talking point is we don't, we don't have seven players who are going to make this team. That's the talking point. Let me explain to you why I'm still in favor of trading down. I want to draw a delineation here between what trading down is and what trading down isn't. What trading down isn't is it isn't a philosophy solely designed for teams that have a lot of needs. That is not the only time or the only scenario that you would trade down. Well, we have a lot of needs, so we need a lot of picks. Because if that's the case, you're picking entirely due to need. And you remember this, Bills Mafia. You remember drafting players in the third round that you were hoping and praying came in and were impactful week one. You remember drafting Alex Carrington from Arkansas State and hoping he would come in. You remember drafting Terrell Troop and hoping he would come in and be an impactful player week one. But not having to draft for needs and relying on them means that that's not the only reason you trade down. You don't just trade down because you have a lot of needs. Because you don't only draft players to fill needs. That's the only reason you do them. Needs right now. Another thing that trading down isn't is it isn't an acknowledgement of not being in a Super Bowl window. Trading down doesn't mean like, hey, you know what? We're not in a Super Bowl window. We got to rebuild. We got to acquire large amounts of pay. That's not what that means. Trading down doesn't mean, well, I guess they don't think we're close. I guess they don't think we're attacking the Super Bowl window. We're not being aggressive enough. When has Brandon Bean ever been accused of not being aggressive? Brandon Bean aggressively got his middle linebacker. He aggressively got his quarterback. He, we were all shocked when he didn't trade up last year. Like, we were all floored that Brandon Bean did not trade up last year. I was sitting here going, well, every single Bills mock that included a trade got busted today because he didn't trade up. I was still there at pick 254 going, okay, he's going to trade down to the bottom of the seventh here. He has to. He's just got to. It's a compulsion. He's got to do it. But he didn't. But that's what trade down isn't. What trading down is, it's an acknowledgement that you're not going to hit on every pick. This idea that, well, we don't have seven players who can make it. We don't even know if seven players are going to be okay. If you draft eight players, four of them might be terrible. That's just the way it is. We consistently forget because we say Bean's a good GM, and he is a good GM. But what does being a good GM and a good drafter mean? Being a good drafter doesn't mean 100% of your picks hit because that's not true. Being a good drafter might mean you get one or two good eventual starters out of a draft class. That could be being a good GM. So for me, trading down is not an acknowledgement that, well, you know, you're going to hit on every pick. It's specifically the opposite. It's an acknowledgement you're not going to hit on every pick, and that's okay. 
I'll tell you what else trading down is. It's an acknowledgement that needs this year aren't your only needs. If any of you have ever played Dynasty Fantasy Football, hit me up in the comments real quick and just tell me that you know what I'm talking about. When you play in Dynasty Fantasy Football, you intrinsically understand that there are going to be different needs that you need to fill on your team at different times. And you don't wait for those needs to pop up before you deal with them. I have a spreadsheet. I'm in a dynasty league with some other Buffalo Bills content creators and some media members. I actually won the league last year. I was the champion. I didn't have a belt made. I don't know. Ask Nate Geary. Ask him if we're going to have a, 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 belt, a belt made. I feel like I should get a belt. Or like a, what is the, uh, the, the digital thing, an NFT? Like pass around an NFT now? I don't know what those things are. I, 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 don't, I, I got too old for this, I guess. I don't understand. But with Dynasty Fantasy Football, you understand that your needs aren't just now. And that's the way it is in real football. Because I just already talked about wide receivers. Here's a good one. Interior offensive line. I mentioned with the wide receiver group that next year we're going to have Emmanuel Sanders as a free agent because he's got a one-year deal. We're going to have a 33-year-old slot receiver. And we don't know if Gabriel Davis is going to take a next step or not. Look at the interior offensive line. Right now, it's Cody Ford or Ike Butker at left guard, Mitch Morse and John Feliciano. John Feliciano is not someone the Bills are married to after next year. And I would never go as far as to say he's a very good player. He's, he's okay. He's whatever. He's fine. Mitch Morse struggled with concussions. Cody Ford hasn't played well. There is a reasonable chance that interior offensive line is a massive need next year. I would argue it's a need right now. I would take Landon Dickerson or Creed Humphrey at 30 and be very happy with that. Because I can plug them right in at interior offensive line and be better than I would be if I was Cody Ford or John Feliciano at guards. Things that you don't think about as being needs become needs real fast. And you don't want to be scrambling to fill a need when it, when it pops up. You want to already have a plan in place for that. And trading down allows you to do that. So it's an acknowledgement that you're not going to hit on every pick. It's an acknowledgement that needs this year aren't your only needs. And it's an acknowledgement that rookies can still make this team. Shh, don't tell anyone. This team is a good team. No teams are flawless. None of them. No teams have no needs. There isn't a team in the world that has no needs. Not possible. I think a rookie could make this team at running back, tight end, interior offensive line, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker, cornerback, safety, and returner. That's a lot. That's 10. 10 positions. I think a rookie could feasibly make a team at those positions. Taron Johnson's going in the last year of his deal and was just benched for a nickel corner from the University at Buffalo before he got hurt. Nickel's a need. Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson are your CB2s. CB2 is a need. Dean Marlowe still hasn't resigned. Your third safety is Jaquan Johnson. Safety is a need. You don't know that any of the linebackers you just signed. We just talked about the linebackers 
that were just recently signed as depth pieces by the Bills might not make the team. That means you can't count on them being roster locks. A rookie could make the team at linebacker. Are you telling me a rookie could not possibly come in and be better than A.J. Klein in base sets? You couldn't have a Sam linebacker playing into the line of scrimmage for 10 to 15 snaps a game. You couldn't do that? I think you could. I think sometimes we overestimate where we are as an organization. This is a good team, but it's not one piece away because there's no such thing as being one piece away. And it's not without needs because there's no such thing as a team without being needs. I will not allow my ego to reach a level from my team getting to the AFC championship where I suddenly think this team has no needs and they're one piece away. I won't do it. So trading down is an acknowledgement you're not going to hit on every pick. It's an acknowledgement that needs this year aren't your only needs. And it's an acknowledgement that rookies can still make this team at a bunch of different positions. Finally, trading down is an acknowledgement that things get tighter when you pay your quarterback. Being able to let an expensive veteran go because you have a cheaper rookie behind him matters. It matters. It's one of the ways you can stay cap compliant when you write a gigantic check to your quarterback. When you're paying Josh Allen $40 million a year, having cheaper players in larger quantities is good. For all of those reasons, I am still in favor of trading down if at all possible. So we have a few minutes, guys. We're going to do a quick mock, but we're only going to do it if I have enough people on here who can jump on with me and make a pick. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? I am going to hit start the draft. And it's going to come down. I'm going to talk through some of the players that are available to pick. We're not going to do any trades. And somebody's going to hit request to speak. And they're going to get to pop up and make this pick. Sound fair? That's what we're going to do. I am going to start the draft. And the machine is going to go. And I know already that Bryce Davis is going to make the first pick because he hit the button first. Jack's down. Bryce is down. Let's do this, guys. Let's do it. So I am not taking any trades, mostly because it would just it would increase the amount of time. It's really hard to do if I'm not sharing my screen. Maybe I'll try and do this on YouTube at some point. I'll share my screen. We can bring people to the comment section. It would be great. But here's what we're going to do. Bryce, here's who we got on the board at 30. I'm going to bring you on with me. Bryce, you with me, man? Hello. Okay. Here's the deal. The Bills are sitting here at 30. The following players are on the board. Aziz Ojolari, edge from Georgia. Quiddy Pay, edge from Michigan. Javante Williams, running back from North Carolina. Jason Owe, edge, Penn State. Jameen Davis, linebacker, Kentucky. Terrence Marshall, wide receiver, LSU. Nick Bolton, linebacker, Missouri. Zayvon Collins, linebacker, Tulsi. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've got my pick. Who, 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 who's it going to be? Give me, give me Jason Oway out of Penn State. Jason Oway. Okay, so tell me why Jason Oway over Aziz Ojolari and Quiddy Pay. The athleticism is off the charts. The tools are insane. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, – I, I love – toolsy ends athletic ends and i think that that provides maybe a bit of flexibility in 
in Leslie Frazier's scheme as well, where he has that speed um, where he could he could move around in in the defensive formation, not just come off the edge. Um, and I, I, I'd love to see what could be done uh, coaching wise with him. Okay, so the fact that you're getting a really toolsy guy who's going to have to be coached up over Aziz Ojolari, who I think is the better pass rusher right now, are you accepting the fact that maybe Owe can't make a significant impact year one? Are you okay with that? I am 100% okay with that. I, I am team trade down. I am perfectly fine not getting someone round one that has to contribute this year. Perfect. You're going for upside. Okay. So we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And we're going to roll on. Oh, Anthony Marino's in here. Hashtag team trade up. Anthony, what are you doing, man? What are you What are you doing to me? Seriously, team trade up. Get that weak stuff out of here. Get your team trade up. Ask, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I wouldn't throw a fit if they trade up. It would depend on who they traded up with and for what. Anthony Romeo, my man, the man, the myth, the legend, Anthony from the Hoof Podcast on the Cover One Podcast Network. If you're not already, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you listen to his pod. He does a great job over there with Eric and Sterling. They do a wonderful job. I have nothing but high things to say about their pod and the work that they put in. You're with me, dude. We're here at 61. Are you ready? All right, let's go. What do we got? Thank you for that praising introduction there as well. Hey, man, all I do do is spit truth on this pod. That's all I do. It (laughs) applies to football. It applies to life. It applies to marriage, food takes. I'm never taking an L. I'm just kidding. Okay, (laughs) so here's what we got. Right off the bat, we have Wyatt Davis, interior offensive line, Ohio State, on the board at 61. Deami Brown, wide receiver, North Carolina. Aaron Robertson, slot corner, UCF. Brevin Jordan, who I know you're a fan of, at tight end at Miami. Elijah Molden, Molden, slot corner, Washington, who a lot of people thought might be a target at 30. Richie Grant, safety, UCF. Tommy Togiai, who's a one-tech from Ohio State. Carlos Basham, Jr., Edge from Wake Forest, Tommy Tremble, tight end, Notre Dame. What are we going to do, man? So here's what I'll say, Bruce. I think, you know I love Brevin Jordan, and I would love to take him at this spot. But for me, I think the bigger need is in interior offensive linemen. So I think it depends on if there's guys on the board right now. I don't know who else. Is there another? Can you give me a couple of the interior offensive linemen who I are available? Cer- I certainly can. Because Wyatt Davis, Quinn Meinhertz is here. Josh Myers is here. Trey Smith from Tennessee is here. Ben <laughs> Cleveland from Georgia is here. Deontay Brown, the the large one, from I.O. the I.O.L. from Alabama is here. Yeah. Mm. Man, uh, I really want to take the interior offensive lineman, but I've been pounding the table for Brevin Jordan for a long time. So now I think I'm asking Brevin. Before you, before you take Brevin yeah. Jordan, let me ask you. Are you scared away by, from the fact that his average depth of target was like four yards? He's a bubble screen tight end, and he's not that athletic. Are you scared away? No, because I think I, I think he can learn in the NFL, and I, he is athletic enough. If you watch his highlights, I mean, the guy gets the ball and makes plays. He, he almost looks like, you know, in the college – the college version of some of these elite tight ends in the NFL. And that's what I like about him. He really pops. He can make a play. He can make the catch when you need it, especially at the tight end position where you're talking red zone, third and short. Um, I think he's that guy. It's going to take him a few years. I don't think he's a huge contributor for 2020, 
one, which is why, you know, in this position, you're making me lean toward going interior offensive lineman. And if I'm talking big picture for the draft, I'm probably trading up for uh, Brevin Jordan early in the third, since this is now the end of the second. And that to me is probably a more ideal case scenario for him because I want him to be a contributor and start playing in the NFL, but we know Dawson Knox is going to be the guy there. So I think maybe you're right. It's safer to go interior offensive lineman at 61. And then if it were me, the GM, I would trade up into the third round uh, to end up getting Brevin Jordan as well. So you're taking Wyatt Davis here. Yes. I think, I think that's the safest, wisest pick for the bills. Well, you know me, I'm all about hedging my bets. So I, exactly. I accept your insurance policy. That is, that is Wyatt Davis. Okay, Anthony. Hey, thanks for stick. Thanks for jumping on, man. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Okay. We are up here. We keep getting trade offers and I keep declining them because, you know, that's not what we're about here. That's what I totally what I'm about in real life. I'm all about wheeling and dealing, man. You should see me in some of my fantasy football leagues, man. I'm 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 all about the wheeling and dealing. But we're here at 93, and Jack is back on with me at 93. Are you ready, Jack? Jack, are you with me? With me. I lost you. Now I got you. Okay, you're back with me. Okay. Yep. So we got Jason Oway at 30. We got Wyatt Davis at 61. So we've reinforced edge. We've reinforced IOL. And here we are at 93. Following players are on the board. Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver USC. Michael Mm -hmm. Carter, running back North Carolina. Kenneth Gainwell, running back Michigan. Elijah Griffin, cornerback USC. Keith Taylor Jr., cornerback Wisconsin. Benjamin St. Just from Minnesota, who's a corner. Marlon Mm -hmm. Tuapulatu, USC. Interior defensive lineman, Ben Cleveland, interior offensive lineman, James, James Hudson, Oof. a tackle. Tell me if there's any position groups you want me to look at. What do you think? Um, I was thinking uh, CB, honestly. Okay, so if I go corners, I have Elijah Griffin. I have Keith Taylor Jr., Benjamin St. Juice. I have Trill Williams from Syracuse. I have Israel Mukwamu from South Carolina. I have Trey Brown from Oklahoma, Rodarius Williams from Oklahoma State. Now, let me ask you, since you're the, the cornerback guru, which one of them's pop for you uh, if you were to go at this point with a cornerback? I would go with Williams or Mukwamo. That's what I would do. So I like Trill Williams. I love his versatility. I love the fact that Trill Williams played so many different spots for Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I think that he's, I think he's a fairly high floor corner. And you know from t- talking to me, I love high floor players. That's, Israel Mukwamo is someone who has the size profile I really like. I think he can play outside and also kick inside to cover bigger tight ends. I think either one of them gives you a piece. I think Williams has higher floor than Mukwamu. I think Mukwamu might have a higher ceiling. Right. Yeah. I got you. No, I, I was leaning towards uh, Syracuse, the, the uh, Williams. I was leaning towards him. Um, okay. I just didn't know if it seemed a little bit high, but um, I don't know. I, I think cornerback – I don't think you can ever have enough good cornerbacks. I really don't. Oh well, you're you're, you're um, just you're just you're talking dirty to me now. I mean that's that's absolutely, <laughs> that's what I love to hear, man. Just you know, sometimes you know when I've had a bad day, I'll come home and I'll be like, I'll sit down on the couch, and my wife will sit down next to me, and she'll whisper those lovely words that every man wants to hear, which is, "You can never have enough good corners." <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, it's it's it's, it's a good time. In fact, I think yeah, she's I, making a turkey turkey burger for me right now, and it'll probably have that like branded into the side of it. It'll be good. Yeah, I think we're gonna pull the trigger with Williams. 
Trill Williams from Syracuse. It is the pick. Dude, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you contributing. Absolutely. Okay, we're moving along. If anybody wants to jump in and make this next pick, we've got a few minutes before the next pick pops up. We are at, oh, of course, Anthony Marino wants to jump in. Anthony Marino wants to make a pick for me. My man, my good man. How you doing, dude? Good man. How you doing? Dude, it's a party all the time. I, Disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. I'm, I'm a little bit late tonight, so I, uh, I didn't catch up on the early rounds. But okay. I'm here, I'm here to, to swoop in. You want me yeah, to let me know how you did. You okay. Sure. So in the Bruce exclusive April Fool's mock draft, it is Jason Oway at 30, Wyatt Davis at 61, Trill Williams at 93, and now we're at 161. So right. tell me what position groups you want me to look at for you here. Well, I'm going to look at running back. I'm going to look at wide receiver. And I'm thinking defensive tackle would be the first okay. three that come to mind. So to running back first. Running back, we have Chuba Hubbard, running back Oklahoma State, Puka Williams. Yeah, we literally have guys named Chuba and Puka next <laughs> to each other on the list. Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, Puka Williams from Kansas, Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech, Jermar Jefferson from Oregon State, Chris Evans from Michigan. So those are your running backs right now. Uh, Chuba Hubbard just ran a 4.36. So if you're looking for speed, of course, we already knew that. But if you watch his tape, you know he had the speed. My issue with Chuba Hubbard is he goes down too easy on contact. I don't think he has the vision and contact balance that I think are requisite traits to be able to have a good floor as a running back. So for me, I'm not a huge Hubbard fan, but it is what it is. Moving to wide receivers, Des Fitzpatrick, wide receiver Louisville. Daz Newsom, who recently tested really badly at North Carolina. Short, small, slow. Bad combination. But someone who tested really well, Anthony Schwartz, wide receiver Auburn, Marlon Williams, wide receiver UCF, and Shai Smith, who everyone really likes a lot, wide receiver South Carolina. Um, Josh Imadarebe from Illinois, I know that you're a big, a big fan. You've taken him more than a few times. I usually give you the top five at every position, but in your case, I did the top six because I know you like him. So I want to make sure you know he's on the board. And then you said defensive tackle, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So IDLs, we have Daryl Slayton from Florida. We have Curious Tonga from BYU. We have Bobby Brown III from Texas A&M. We have LeBrian Ray from Alabama, Naquan Jones, Michigan State, Carlo Kemp, Michigan, and Mustafa Johnson from Colorado. Oh, we also have Forrest Merrill from Arkansas, Arkansas State, who I really like later in the draft, but he's probably a little early for him. What do you think? Well, for me, and the guy I probably should have just asked you if he was there or not, so Daryl Slayton is would be the choice for me, right, to be that one technique, huge, 6'5", 350 pounds. I mean, that is just what the Bills are missing at this point on the defensive line. You didn't really address it early on. And, you know, I've been talking about it a lot lately, but, you know, Star Latulale, we don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back. Vernon Butler, last year of his contract. Harrison Phillips, last year of his I want to see the Bills do something at defensive tackle, and that's a guy that certainly jumps for me. Perfect. To Daryl Slayton, it is. We got that one tech. That's a great example of you making sure that you're not looking at just this year's needs because Harrison Phillips, not probably going to be on this team next year. He's proven himself to be a perfectly replaceable one tech. 
defensive tackle. Star Latule, probably locked in this year from a contractual standpoint and maybe even locked in next year. But wouldn't it be nice if we had a starter and we could move him kind of a little bit backwards in the rotation next year and have a, a one tech who is young? So I appreciate it. Anthony, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Okay. We got somebody sitting around. Sterling. My man, Sterling. The other guy. The other guy from the the Cover One Hoof podcast. I got two out of three. Where's Eric? I feel like I need Eric. I need to complete the trifecta. He's slacking. He is slacking. (laughs) You tell him, I told him, that, you know, he needs to be part of this, man. There's there's, there's some sort of... (laughs) Group he missed. I don't know if he missed the RSVP, if he didn't get the memo. I don't know what it is, but he didn't show up. But we're <laughs> at pick 174, and I need you, Sterles. I, I need got you. You, got, got you. you got to help me out here. Okay, so tell me what position groups you want me to look at, and I'll tell you what we got. Uh, since we just took a – let's go wide receiver here. Um, let's go wide receiver here. Yeah. Anthony and Schwartz is still here. Big nickel. I need a safety. Big nickel. Got it. Okay. So, Anthony Schwartz, wide receiver, Auburn. Marlon Williams, UCF. Shai Smith, South Carolina. Simi Fahoku, Stanford. Cornell Powell, Clemson. Jalen Darden, North Texas. Sage Surratt, Wake Forest. From a wide receiver standpoint. Let's look at corners and let's look at safeties and see who I have available from a big nickel standpoint. Okay. Whew. My, uh... My da, 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 my my pickings are a little slim here. And we have course Kerry Vincent doesn't qualify, Bryce Thompson doesn't qualify, Robert Rochelle doesn't qualify. We probably need to find a converted safety here. Give me a second here. Let's go with Derek Forrest doesn't qualify. Maybe Ty how do you feel about Tyree Gillespie? Got the Gillespie. Are you a are you a Gillespie guy? No. Mm-mm. Okay. I'll pass on him. But I'll tell you what, what about we should pa- just go ahead and do. Let's, do, let's do this, Bruce. Let's go ahead and get my guy, Jalen Darden. North Texas. Mm-hmm. Let's get him. Wide receiver, extremely fast. Kind of reminds me of a little bit of uh, pre-crazy Antonio Brown. <laughs> mm. he's got mm. he's got a lot of uh he's got a lot of tools in the bag he's a little raw but i think he's a guy you know that can come in he can be a returner uh he's a guy that can do the the short screen game and so forth and he's got some long speed so i think he would be the pick here yeah i really like the returnability there i think being able to find someone who's young who can do that is a nice hedge against the idea that isaiah mckenzie maybe is not that guy because one of the places we established you may be able to have a rookie make the team is returner. Because there's a chance you can keep Isaiah McKenzie on this roster, even if he doesn't return. I know that because we literally just did it last year. Yeah, You kept Isaiah McKenzie on this team and he didn't return. So don't tell me a returner can't make this team because it's Isaiah McKenzie's job. Because we kept Isaiah McKenzie, even though he wasn't returning. Well, you know what? And here's the thing, Bruce. We don't know what... Uh the brain trust that won those drive think of McKenzie in terms of an actual member of the wide receiver group, not just in, you know, gadget plays and so forth, but mm-hmm. they, he might carve himself a, a decent role in this receiving course. So it'll be interesting to see what he uh, does in training camp moving forward. Well, Sterling, I feel good about your pick. I feel good about our <laughs> draft so far. Jason Oway, 
Wyatt Davis, Trill Williams, to Daryl Slayton, Jalen Darden. I feel pretty good about it. I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Catch you later. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at pick number 213, and I'm up by myself, and I'm going to make this pick. And here's what I'm going to do at pick 213. I'm looking down at some people that I, I think about. We, we didn't address running back really yet, but there isn't really a significant player that I really like in this space. I, it's, you know, Jamar Jefferson's there, Chris Evans. I'm just not really, I don't love any of my running back options here. We took a corner. Simi Fahoku is a wide receiver I, I kind of like, but yeah, we just took one. I'm taking Paris Ford. I'm taking Paris Ford from... Pittsburgh. I think one of the things you have to do if you're taking a player late in the draft is I think you have to pick someone who's either has the ability to walk in right off the street and play special teams or has intriguing traits that allow you to potentially stash him and develop him or both. And I think Ford is both. Ford has traits for me that think he could be a starting safety in three years. In addition to that, I think that he has physical tools that allow you to come in and be an impact teams player right away. And that's the kind of player I want to pick at 213. So here we are, 236. And I've got to make another pick. 236. And I've got Sage Surratt still on the board. I've got Joshua Kando from Florida State. We already took an edge that was really toolsy in the first round. Goodness gracious, what do I want to do? What do I do here? I don't know. Guys, what do you think? Hit me in the comments. What positions do I go here? There's a lot of wide receivers on the board here, but I don't know if I can make two. I don't know if I can really fit two. I actually thought about taking a backup quarterback here, to be honest. (laughs) I thought about taking a backup quarterback. You know what? We're doing it. I'm taking Ian Book. I'm taking Ian Book because at least he's got traits. It's 236. I am not a Jake Fromm believer. I am not a Jake Fromm believer at all. And because of that, I'm going to do it. So there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, our final mock draft that we just did that I'm going to go ahead and post on Twitter after we're done here is Jason Oway at 30th, Edge Penn State. At 61, Wyatt Davis, interior offensive line, Ohio State. At 93, Trill Williams, cornerback Syracuse. At 161, to Daryl Slayton, interior defensive lineman, Florida. 174, Jalen Darden, wide receiver, North Texas. 213, Paris Ford, safety, Pittsburgh. 236, Ian Book, quarterback, Notre Dame. We did it, guys. We got through everything we were supposed to get through. It took us an hour to do it, but I had a good time. Thanks for joining me for this. Thank you for always engaging with these things and with me. It means so much to me that you do it. I am unbelievably blessed in how gracious you all have been to me ever since I started doing this. And I promise you, I'm never going to take it for granted. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. 
Buffalo rumblings. <laughs>